Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. Uh, I don't remember exactly how far we got. I think to the top of the back of the page. Yeah. So, uh, look at it. I did put, I started adding page number on the bottom, page two of two. So last week, uh, before we begin, just to summarize, we were talking about how I mentioned to you that this whole healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda under the five catacombs, or excuse me, what do they call them? Colonnades. Colonnades, good. That's a C word, close. Um, is a picture, was understood and is a picture of baptism and how in Christ um, we have new creation from the water and the word, if that makes sense. Um, so, um, I don't know, did anybody Google for art? search the Google and try to find some of these catacomb art. I, I had done some and then I, I lost track of it. But certainly, I, did I tell you the name of the person who's catacomb? I probably did, but now I don't remember it. Eh, some first century gal. She had like all like her favorite Bible stories basically in, in artwork painted on the inside of these walls. And because it was a catacomb, it was preserved right uh, from the elements. So the art's still there. You can still see it. It's pretty incredible. All right, let's, uh, for the sake of review, let's read some of the text again. So let's read, uh, you can read 9 through, last week we did 17. Just go through 16, though. And at once, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man, who had been healed. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. <laughs> but he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man, was, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse can happen to you. Mm. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. All right, good. All right, now the day was a Sabbath. And so, you, I think we talked about this last week, uh, but it's worth remembering. Oh, actually, we weren't here last week, so I'll repeat. The, um, especially in John's Gospel, uh, maybe in comparison to, say, Mark's gospel, the story that happens, or the healing miracle here, the sign that happens, then Jesus does an exposition. He, he teaches us uh, theologically what just happened, why it happened. Um, and so the context matters, the place, the, you know, the, the details, the five colonnades, all these things are kind of um, used by John. They're historic data that he uses to indicate um, you know, what Jesus is trying to teach. 
And actually, here in chapter 5 is the first time Jesus is going to go into a long discourse, right, where, he, where he's teaching, um, which we'll talk about maybe later. The day is the Sabbath, so that's our context, and that's the reason they're going to get upset with him. And actually, I think we'll see in verse 18, which we haven't gotten to yet, um, that John just inserts a parenthetical note. Well, maybe we'll just look at it since I mentioned it. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because one... Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but two, he was calling himself God. Or he was calling God, his fallen father, making himself equal with God. So this is the setup now for the rest of the gospel. The reason they want to kill him is um, because of blasphemy, um, both in um, changing, (laughs) or I would actually say correcting um, the understanding of the Sabbath. Not really changing it, but restoring it to, to its rightful understanding. And then, you know, saying, I'm God in the flesh which, of course, is offensive to them. Because no one sees God and lives, right? Mm, and Jesus, everyone who sees Jesus lives. It's actually the opposite, right? Well, that's an interesting statement, then. All right. Um, good. All right, so back up. Now the day was the Sabbath. What about the Sabbath? I started to talk about this last week. And... Um, I think I ended the, the class saying that the Sabbath is to be understood um, in, by way of gift to us. Um, that's not the way that folks typically understand it. It's like, do I have to? Well, this is the kids. Do I have to? You don't say this because you know better. But do you have to go to church today? You know, do I have to go to catechism today? You might have asked that once or twice in your life. Yeah, okay, you remembered it. You know, and the point is, no, you don't have to. You're free not to, but that freedom is actually sin. (laughs) To say, I don't need to listen to you, Jesus. I don't have anything to take, you know, for you to give me. And, you know, I have other things that are more important than you. Well, that's, uh, I mentioned, you know, you can take a gift and turn it into really a curse to you. It becomes a law to you when you reject it. All right, so... um, Sabbath rest. So that you remember, you've probably heard this how many times in your lifetime, talking about the Jews and how they understand the law, the Torah, um, the Pharisees especially, right? How many laws did they have? Anybody remember? A lot. A lot. What? 600 something, right? I think it's 614. So they took the Ten Commandments, and much like we do, with, with the, uh, our edition of the catechism, I don't have one here. I, point the, I had to point this out to the kids this week as we started instruction. You know, the catechism is only about 26 pages. And the, but they say, well, no, it's a thick book. No, it's not a thick book. All that other stuff is the ways that we make it more complicated. <laughs> All the questions and answers at the end. Those are, that's not Luther's catechism. There's a long tradition of doing that. But those, those actually don't make it easier to understand. They just actually com- make more complex what Luther had simplified. Um, and that's because God's word, you know, there's, there's the basic kind of entry point, and then it just keeps flowering and expanding, right? And you see, you see all the ways that a simple teaching like faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, which um, Luther explains in the third article of the Creed, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will be in the sermon. Um, and then we just expand that out and say all the ways that we can hear and um, what hearing is like and what it spiritually represents and all those kind of questions at the end. The, the Pharisees did the same thing with the law, you know? You shall have no other gods. Don't misuse the name of the Lord God. Remember the Sabbath day, third commandment. And they said, well, okay, what did God mean by that? 
I think we need a little bit more expansion on that. Not just that we should hear God's word and gladly, or that we should, uh, what does it say? Fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. That's pretty simple. Just gladly hear and learn God's word. That's what the Sabbath's for. Um, they said, no, okay, I mean, they didn't know Luther, but <laughs> we got to expand this out. And so they included things like, like today you can't use any electrified appliances. Incidentally, you can use mechanical appliances, but they have to be, in a sense, charged up before the Sabbath. So there, I saw a documentary about that, a guy in New York who creates appliances that are hand cranked. So there's a large spring. So the spring will run the like wash cycle and rinse cycle. You just have to crank it the day before because you, all you can do is push the button, but you can't actually. Actually, I think it's on a timer. I don't even think you get to push the button because you have to, you know, because it's work, right? And the day is, it's a day given for rest, right? And where did they get that? Genesis. Yeah, Genesis 2. Um, you know, God created the heavens and earth in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. 2 verse 2. It's right there. Right? So God rested, so we have to rest too. That's the point, right? Now, as I said, Luther actually rightly understands that the law is given to us as a gift. Um, not only to show us our sin, which is a gift to us as well, because otherwise we wouldn't know and then have no um, knowledge or need for a savior, but also a gift in, in that that's the way that we, that we should go now that we live in Christ, right? And uh, actually the Sabbath is given for us to rest, um, I'll just add at the end, in Jesus. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they've expanded the Sabbath. I don't remember how many of those 614 or 37 or whatever it is commandments they had attached to the Sabbath day. But it included things like not picking up your mat and walking because they had a limit on how many steps you could take. You know, they didn't have Fitbits yet, but they must have, they had, had to have some way to keep track. Right. No more than 5000 steps, you know, because that's work if you're exercising or something. I mean, we laugh at it. But, but I think it was still born out of an, um, you know, kind of an honest understanding of the law. But again, the basic idea is that they can keep it. So in that way, I mean, they're, they're honestly trying to keep the law. But that's where the deceit is. The law is, is not going to be kept by you. Not at least according to God's standard. All right. Um, now, I, I gave you a few notes there in that second paragraph on the page two the work of jesus healing the paralytic is a new sabbath rest all right so he actually helps us understand what the sabbath is actually for because it prefigures the rest of israel which we'll see again in chapter 9 verse 14 meaning what was like the exodus wandering what was the point to get to the promised land which is a land flowing with milk and honey right that's gift language right like you're not even gonna have to work you're just gonna get milk and honey which is like flowing with lattes and cappuccinos, right? For you. That's effectively what he's saying. They're just, they're just there for you. You don't even like, have to make it in the morning. There's no labor. The coffee's roasted and ground, and it's... Per- okay, you get the idea, right? Um, so Israel was always looking forward to that resting. Finally come to rest. You could say, like, peace, right? So the warfare has ended, and then there's peace. It's another way of speaking that way. Work and rest... Warfare of peace. Mm. So this command to carry his pallet that Jesus says, you can see how they understand that then to be a contradiction of the Sabbath law itself. 
as they understood it, right? You don't tell somebody to do work on the Sabbath. And you know there's many examples of Jesus. You know, they're picking grain on the Sabbath. Um, what about the, the, the man who has an ox that falls into the well, right? Don't you pull it out? And they, the, as much as they're legalists, meaning that everything's about keeping the law, they had, um, what do you want to say? Back doors? Is that right? What do you say? Exceptions. That's the right word. They made exceptions for certain things, and Jesus kind of sticks it to them. You guys think it's all about obedience to the law, but you yourselves make exceptions. This comes up with Moses and marriage, right? Moses made exceptions for divorce. So, um, no law surpassed the Sabbath in significance, though, and I think we see that in the Gospels. I mean, it's, it just keeps coming up. It's always about the Sabbath. It's always about, and it, we might say it this way. Um, this is a helpful distinction. Oh, our board I can write on. Watch this, watch this. Oh, it goes away. <laughs> the board, the board in the classroom over there, I can't erase. I don't know, it writes on there just fine. Right. Come back off. No. Um, the distinction is sacrifice, and we would say sacrament. Now, I know that's kind of a, but this is, this is, if you want to say us to God, right? Sacrifice. Sacrament is God's sacrifice uh, to us. And this is, if you start reading the Bible and you think, okay, not everything's black and white this way, but generally speaking, think of these two categories and you start reading and you find out that the people who God actually accuses of idolatry or false worship are the ones who think they ought to offer sacrifice. This kind. Right? And we saw this last week with Cain and Abel, actually. Those um, who are rightly worshiping or rightly related to God actually recognize that everything's gift to them. And I mean, you could make a case that, like with Cain and Abel on uh, last week's Old Testament reading, um, that Abel's sacrifice uh, rightly understood that it was, I mean, I, even if he didn't understand it, he rightly understood that it was actually blood that was going to have to be poured out um, to atone for sins. Maybe. I mean, certainly his sacrifice um, prefigures the lamb that's given later. All right. Um, Intimately bound to the covenant with Israel, an expression of Israel's freedom from slavery and the freedom of Israel as the people of God. It is. The Sabbath is. All right. So I give you Exodus Exodus 20 um, and Deuteronomy 5, 12. We should probably look at this because it's going to come up again with the rest of the lesson going to come up enough times we should probably just look at it so jump to exodus 20 all right so this is the giving of the law well yes so <clears throat> sometimes we miss this part at the beginning <laughs> because we just jump in on the first command of the first word you shall have no other gods before my face or before me right but what did he just say right before that? Verse 2? Yeah. I am the Lord your God who... Right. So the law is given in the context of God's delivering his people from the house of bondage and slavery. All right. So it's not, it's not given in the context of you guys are pretty good and I'm going to make you a little bit better people now. By giving the law. And Paul, Paul sets that idea to rest anyway um, with Romans and Galatians, but, and actually with 2 Corinthians too. But the, um, as well, I should say. The, 
The context is, you are my people and I will be your God. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he gives the law, um, actually, you know, we would say to accuse us of where we've actually broken, broken off from his promise of freedom from slavery and from bondage. And namely to sin, not just Egypt, but sin. Right? All right, skip ahead, though, to verse, what did I say? Eight. Eight. Yeah, so let's look at the Sabbath in particular, because we only do the first part when we say it out loud, right? All right. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We do just fine on that. And there's more, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, and the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right. Now, um, as you read that, is, is the law given for obedience, for sacrifice? I have to give up one day a week to go to church. Is that the language that God's using here through Moses? No, what's the language? Just if you want to use the words I said again, it's a gift to them, right? Just as, as all creation is a gift to you, and God himself took a day, actually, um, to enjoy all that he made, so you have a day to stop and enjoy what he has given you, his word, but also the rest of your life, right? And uh, that's why people do like... I don't know. They just rest on Sunday. Take a nap Sunday afternoon. <laughs> they, maybe they don't remember it anymore, but it's a, it's, that's not a bad thing, you know? Um, you don't have to work hard on Sunday. The only person who has to work on Sunday really is the pastor. <laughs> and I don't have to work the rest of the week, so it's, pretty, it's a pretty good gig. It's a pretty good gig. All right, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's the day of God's own rest from creating. It's intimately bound to this covenant, which we just talked about. It's the only festival mentioned in the Ten Commandments themselves. It's the only like, day of remembrance, right? Everything else is broad. Um, that is mentioning a specific day. And notice that it explicitly... Oh, no, we didn't do this. Exodus 31. So let's go there. 31, verse 12. Again, more on the Sabbath law. Make sure you're all there. Okay. And the Lord said to Moses, as it is in Greek, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Well, that's plural. Look at that. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. All right? So you should remember the Sabbath day by keeping it. What's the word? Holy, which is the same word as sanctify, by the way. It's just different forms, but then the word changes. It does. So we could say holified. <laughs> That's the day I holify you. <laughs> no, let's say sanctify. That sounds a little bit better, right? It's the day given by God actually to make you holy. Not just that you keep it holy, but he makes you holy. How does he do that? Yeah, which gives the forgiveness of sins. Good job. All right, that's good. Well, you teach the children, so you don't know the answer. We're going to back up a little bit here. All right, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Oops. Uh, Whoever does any work on it, the soul shall be cut off from among his people. 
this kind of work, by the way. This idea that we have to offer to God, that it's a sacrificial day. It's a sacramental day. It's a day for us to receive from God holiness. People come and think it's going to make you holy before God by obeying it. It actually cuts you off from God. You turn the gift into a law, remember? And if it's not a gift anymore, it's not actually for your good, for your salvation. Anyway, whoever does any work on it, his soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done. The seventh day of Sabbath is a solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Uh, again, in case you didn't get it the first time, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. I'll just repeat myself, you know, for emphasis. How far did I say? 17. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations. Where's my cursor? As a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. All right. So it's a sign throughout generations to know that it is I who sanctifies you, who makes you holy. All right. So yes, the Sabbath is a law. Um, it's a law to our flesh, right? who does not want to hear God's word. Um, to, it does not want to even be forgiven, which is a pretty incredible thought right? Um, to those of us who are Christians. But let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, there's plenty of things we don't want to be forgiven for. But those are the ones that we don't actually confess. Yeah. All right. Oh, there we go. Uh, the rabbis in the New Testament, by the time of the New Testament, established 39 categories of work prohibited on the Sabbath. Right? So you had to memorize those two in catechism, kids. What are the 39 categories of work that are prohibited on the Sabbath? Please recite out loud. Uh-huh. If you're a Pharisee, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, hints of which come in the Old Testament. So um, I gave you a couple examples. We don't have to look at those. But uh, they're, they're not pulling these things out of thin air. Making, they're just not making stuff up. I mean, they are trying to be faithfully reflect on how they understand the scriptures. But again, they understand it in terms of this. What's the right sacrifice before God? And like I said last week, Cain and Abel, you know, some people, I've heard it preached, I probably even preached it this way. Well, Cain's sacrifice was, you know, it was just, it was just grain. And, but Abel offered the right sacrifice because it was a lamb, right? Which actually is to disagree with scripture, which itself says, just read Hebrews, that it was, it was by faith that Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice. It's because he trusted in the mercy of God, not because of the sacrifice itself, although it's a nice picture of the sacrifices to come. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, uh, obedience, obedience comes, rightly understood, obedience comes from faith, not actually towards faith. Does that make sense? So you don't obey in order to believe, but you, you obey because you believe. Right? We call that a fruit of faith. That's the whole work of the Holy Spirit. Peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. Why? Because they're, they just keep coming, the fruits. Okay. Uh, but according to God himself, to keep the Sabbath is actually to be the faithful people of God. Right? That's why when you read Luther's explanation on, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, right? That we should fear and love God, that we do not, uh, what? Despise preaching in his word. I'm going to say it a few times. Repetition. Despise preaching in his word, but gladly hear it, you know, hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it, right? And he doesn't say anything about a day of the week. You notice that? Because Luther rightly understands the Sabbath, yes, it mentions a day, the Sabbath day, right? But that every day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Every day we get to rest in the peace of Jesus. 
Every day is a day that begins and ends in the forgiveness of sins. That there is now, there's not like six days of labor and a day of rest. Every day is a day of rest. Why? The battle's won. You know, the victory is yours. What's there to, what's there to do as far as your salvation? Nothing. Yeah, so now you get to rest in that. Yeah, you see? So actually he fulfills even, Jesus even fulfills that wrong understanding of like we have to work our way into God's good graces, right? Through obligation, through the law. He even fulfills that by actually completing the Sabbath in himself. There's now no more need, even for the, the, the regular and repetitive you know, sacrifice of blood, of bulls and goats. And um, I, know, I know you probably like barbecue like me, but you don't have to barbecue any, every day anymore in the temple, okay? It's done, right? And we're grain offerings and all of the offerings for sin. It's all been um, completed in Jesus. It is finished, as he said. Yeah, so actually what's going on with the Jews, because they reject Jesus, here's the third paragraph, is they're actually opposed to him being their final Sabbath rest. Like I was just saying, that we rest in the peace of Jesus. So by rejecting him, they actually are standing in opposition to the law itself, the Torah which is Christ himself, which is John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Right? And by word there, he means all that has been testified in the scripture testifies of Jesus, including the Sabbath. Including the Sabbath. All right? So um, that's the right way to understand the commandments. We did this a little bit this week, right? When we were preparing uh, for devotions each day, we, went, we had a Bible study with the faculty and... Um, we went, how far did we get? I think we got through 9 and 10, right, of the commandments. And just, um, it was a point, it's somewhat a little challenging, sometimes challenging, but how does this commandment actually lead us away from sin and into faith in Jesus? Or how does the story appointed for the day do that? Right? Um, because that's the point of the scriptures. All right. All right. So let's see what else you want to say. Any questions so far? All right, so let's, I'm going to read the rest of this. Because I wrote it last week and my memory is not so good as to what I wrote. As God who created the heavens and the earth commanded Israel to honor the Sabbath by not working on the Sabbath, which we read, so did Jesus, quote, who made me whole, say, take up your pallet and walk. Okay, the one who gave the Sabbath is now telling this man to walk on the Sabbath. Can Jesus do that? Yeah, yeah. He's changing how, how they're to understand the Sabbath, namely that the man was made whole. And we talked a little bit about that, didn't we? That that wholeness on the other side of the sheet, yeah, um, at the bottom of page one, that's actually to be made new again. Now, who made in the first, made him in the first place? God by His Word knit you together in your mother's womb. Who makes him whole again through this healing miracle? Jesus, right? How are you made whole again? In the same way He was through the forgiveness of sins. And that was last week. You have to look at the other side of the sheet. But the idea, it's, it actually comes up today in our gospel. It comes up all the time. People sometimes argue that like Jesus' healing is somehow disconnected from the forgiveness of sins. But the easy way to kind of get your head around that is to say, our sickness is are always pointing towards the fact that we're dying, right? Like your sister with her eye. I mean, it's, it's just the way that she particularly is experiencing that painful march towards death, right? And the end of, um, of her flesh. But 
The forgiveness of sins does what? Yeah, well, it takes away death. Because the wages of sin is death. So if, if sin is removed, then what's removed? The wages of it, right? Including death. So by forgiving someone their sins, you're actually promising them as well, as Luther does. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation, right? Yeah, it's the resurrection of the body is the promise for those whose sins are forgiven. Um, now, if you experience healing in this life, that's a little picture of the resurrection. But everyone res- re- will receive healing on the last day, you know, when he calls everyone from their tombs. And they're restored anew. And that shouldn't be so surprising, since Jesus is the one who spoke and the Father spoke and everything into being. He's also the one that restores everything new. Right? Behold, I make all things new. I read that somewhere. Sound familiar? Oh, come on. I know it's early. You can laugh. It's all right. <laughs> Thus, the assertion entails the claim of Jesus' divinity and is the reason of the accusation of blasphemy. Because he has the audacity to say to this man, rise, take up your bed, and walk on the Sabbath. Because I'm the Sabbath. And I'm the one who gets to say how you keep the Sabbath. All right. Um, Jesus calls this blindness later on in 941, failing to see that the work of this man, it's himself, is nothing other than the work of God, the creator. What does it say in 941? I have to get back there too. I can type fast enough that it just goes it. Wow, it's there. Oh yeah. Yeah, context, little context. This is going to come up later in chapter 5, too, so we see some repetition. Jesus said, verse 39, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Did we talk about the cross being both good news and scandal and offense? I feel like we did. Depending on how you receive it, right? Do you receive it as judgment against sin and death? Just like, what was the reading that said that, like, the cornerstone, which is Jesus, um, like crushes some and oh yeah, was that down. was that in John or was that back in Micah? I feel like that was in Micah. No, we t- well, this this was at home, but oh, we talked about it. At it's home. in the same context. Yeah. So the same stone that crushes some is also the it's the cornerstone of the church. He kills and he makes alive. That's actually what the Bible says. We'd say that at, at um, funerals. Like Jesus is the end of death and the beginning of life at the same time. And actually, that's all at the cross. So you can receive, you can receive Jesus, the same action or the same word from Jesus, as either law or gospel, depending on how, you or, how you're oriented to it. Right? So you, I could say to you, Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. And he's like, that's great news, right? And other people will say to me, um, I don't have sins that need forgiven. Like, oh, so they heard it as law, you see? Accusation of sin, even though I was proclaiming forgiveness at the same time, the same word. So that's a caution, uh, um, actually, to not always say, is this scripture law or gospel? <laughs> it sometimes is, it's just how you hear it. Um, and I experience this all the time as a, as a preacher. I'll preach something that I believe is wonderful gospel, and somebody will be wholly accused by it of their own sin because of the way they don't believe what I was proclaiming. You see? Yeah. Then it's received as judgment. It's that whole, like we were talking about before with gift and receiving a gift as gift or receiving it as obligation. Um, If you, Jesus said to them, oh no, some of the Pharisees near him heard 
these things and said to him, are we also blind? <laughs> of course, they don't think themselves blind. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now I say to you, we see. Now that I say to you, we see your guilt remains. So seeing and blindness. And is he talking about physical blindness? And he's talking about spiritual blindness, right? They don't see him for who he is. And so they're actually rejecting God himself, (laughs) which is a hard thing to hear, I suppose, for them. All right, five. And then verse 14. Uh, But go back to chapter five. Verse 14, or maybe even 13. Did we read this part? Yeah, we just read it. Okay. But take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as as there was a crowd in the place. So Jesus does this. Um, In Mark's gospel, um, commentators on Mark call this like the divine, um, what do they call it? Like the hiddenness of, no, not the hiddenness of God. That he keeps like taken off before anybody can give him credit for what he did, right? And what, what's going on is that Jesus wants to be known, not according to healing the paralytic alone, but actually according to his word that's attached to the healing of that paralytic, right? So otherwise, it's like we'll see this in John six with the feeding of the of the five thousand. They just they want to hold on to him, and John just explicitly says it because they want to make him out to be king a bread king, a king that gives him bread all the time. Which is kind of ironic since that's what Israel had. They had a king that gave him bread in the wilderness. And what did they do about it? (laughs) They complained. Yeah, they grumbled. Like They had a king who gave him bread every day, but then they wanted their own king when they got to the promised land. Remember Saul? That went really well. Yeah, our our own blindness is kind of um, sad, I guess, (laughs) to what's good. All right, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, all right? Now, I think I said this last week. Why does Jesus depart from him but then seek him out in the temple? Okay, we had the Sabbath. We had a healing by the Pool of Siloam, right? And the, and the five colonnades. And maybe even Solomon intended those to represent the Torah when they built those colonnades, okay? All right, and then, because they were Solomons. Yeah, they were Solomons. Then, uh, now he's in the temple, so again, it's context. We're getting, we're getting context because then when, we, when he does this long discourse, we're thinking man healed, was paralyzed on the Sabbath by the pool of Siloam, which have the five colonnades that lead into the temple. That's, our, that's the context of what Jesus is going to be talking about. All right. So he finds him in the temple and he says, see, you are well. Now remember, I said this a few minutes ago. We talked about it last week. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. I don't think I talked about that part. Sin no more. Did we talk about that? It's in the next two paragraphs. Yeah, it's in the next two paragraphs. All right. So I think I alluded to it, but we didn't talk about it. This is a hard teaching from Jesus um, because think of it, how people approach baptism, generally speaking. One and done? Yeah, one and done. Exactly, John. Get Got to get it done. And then it's done. And like, okay. I mean, in a sense, that's true, right? You don't, you don't get baptized again. The baptism is good, but... Jesus connects to what to baptism? Go make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. Yeah. Yeah. So baptism is not intended to lead you like, <laughs> it's like Monopoly, right? Um, collect $200, you know, you know, passcode. What is it? Oh, no, that's do not collect $200. Pass, passcode, collection number. Is it? 
Yeah, yeah. So you can just skip everything else and just, oh, right there. All done. Right? Automatic gate to heaven. Um, it is. But it actually drives, it's, it's, baptism is intended to lead you into a life of faith in the church. Not a life outside of faith in the church. Um, so when, I, when anyway says, oh, I'd like my child baptized, I don't like make them jump, go through like a long instruction or something. Um, but I do meet with them and talk to them and say, um, so are you going to come to church now too? Because <laughs> this child who receives this gift of life, what, do you need, what does life need? Nourishment, right? Food, yeah. And Jesus calls himself that food and water, right? Living water. Mm. Any questions on that? Yeah, so this is a problem, and Jesus is getting at it here, right? Because he says uh, that nothing worse may happen to you. He teaches us other ways, too, when the demon's been sent out of the home, um, you know, and the house is swept and it's put in order, but then it's left empty. What happens? More. Yeah, seven demons worse than the first come. And actually, your fate, is, or fate if you like, the uh, Bible doesn't use that word, but the end of that is actually worse than the beginning. It was better just to be captive by one demon than seven. Right? And he's talking about um, that technical, that's a technical word, I guess, but apostasy. Those who once believed rejecting the faith. Um, it's actually worse. And uh, we don't have any elders here. You've been an elder before. You've been an elder before. No, you've never been an elder. That's right. You should be an elder someday. Um, I mean, apparently everybody has to do everything, right, at some point. Okay, all the men. What are we talking about? Elders, apostasy. Oh, I mean, reaching those who have now walked away from the church is, I don't know. I don't even know what the factor is. It's, it's infinitely more challenging than um, trying to reach those who have no knowledge of, of, of Jesus. Or, or they have a misunderstanding. They, they don't really, they know whatever they saw on TV kind of thing. Um, but to actually restore what has uh, been forsaken. I mean, it's not that there's, it's without hope. I'm just saying uh, it's, um, it's challenging. There's usually something pretty significant that's standing between them and Jesus. It might be themselves, but it's generally somebody else, actually, or something else. Like those people or that person, you know? How could they be a Christian and do this to me? Um, so I, uh, I think Paul would counsel this. I can't think of a good scripture, but it seems like it would be Paul. Um, that rec- well, Jesus says it too. Reconcile with your brother before you go to the altar because you restore him then to the fellowship. And that should be the goal of your life with Christ is God coming to his people. And that means sometimes he comes to his people through you as you forgive or as you ask for forgiveness for what you've done. All right? Or the other way he says it, you know, look at, before you accuse your neighbor of their sin, look at your own eye. which is a great way of approaching somebody is in humility and say, I don't know what I did. I know I'm getting a sense that something's not right here and I'm sorry. I don't know what it is. Can you help me? I'd like to do better. Um, Rather than saying, I know there's something going on here. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Which isn't just going to go well. You know, what's keeping you from church? It might, might be received that way. I don't know. What can I do? What can we do here? All right. Looking at, uh, see you've become whole sin no longer. Let's see if I give you any examples here. Basic to all biblical thinking is the fall of the human race into sin. It has its death, or death is its consequence. We talked about that a few minutes ago. The summary of this dilemma is given by St. Paul, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. All right? So it's another way to, uh, if you want to talk about 
the nature of sin. We might say the disease. Okay? Healings are the reversal of the human fall and thus connected to the forgiveness of sins. Okay? So if it removes death or you know, the con- what, what's leading towards death, then it also is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus associates the passing of death to life by those who hear and believe his word with the final resurrection when those in their tombs hear his voice and are raised to eternal life. So you, in church, you hear his word. In that word, you have forgiveness and life and salvation now, right? Which is also then a picture of what will happen on the last day when he calls you out of your grave and says, come with me and live with me forever. It's both true then and it's true now. It's the same. It's actually the same thing. Death is over with for you, which is beautiful. Um, Hence the context of the pool and the sheep gate. So water and forgiveness, baptism, right? Note that Jesus says that nothing worse happens to you. Okay, here we go. This is what I was looking for. So we are reminded of old Israel. Remember Exodus stuff we were looking at with the Sabbath? That because of sin, we're not allowed to enter. Enter, E-I-N-T-E-R, the land of promise. And how long was it that they wandered? 48. Yeah, that's what we say. It's actually 38. Yeah, it's 38. Um, which Paul makes in Romans 2 or 6. Let's look. Let's see if, I, if my... <laughs> this was a week ago, so now I'm not so sure I remember this right. But I put it down. Romans 6, verse 2. Oh, no. Well, what point is he making explicitly? Not that point. What point is he making here? Well, the man was infirm for 38 years. Oh, yeah. Up, up above? I say up above. Yeah. yeah, he was infirm for 38 years. Maybe you're right, John. Sometimes the dating of years, and Paul does this in Galatians. He says, well, it was 40, 430 years that before the law was given. And you're like, but it was not, actually. According to Moses, it was 400. And now Paul says it's 430. You're like, well, who's right? He's like, like, close enough. <laughs> you know, close enough. The law was not given immediately. All right, so anyway, 38 years. Um, I don't know if Paul makes this point explicitly, but he makes a good point. So let's look at it. <laughs> By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? The point, actually, verse 14's point is what he's making. Right? Jesus says, go and sin no more, that nothing worse happened to you. Paul makes the same point. Um, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? Continue, continue, continue. I hate skipping all of that, but let's go to verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him, was, past tense, by the way, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. All right? For he who has died has been set free from sin. Now, later on he'll say, um, well, wait a minute. If we've been, what shall we say then? Should we... Sin all the more that grace may abound. What's he say? By no means. By no means, yeah. Right. So this is this is maybe a hard teaching because baptism's a gift. I would even say the confession of faith, the confession of baptismal faith and confirmation, that's also a gift. Right? But how do people understand it? Again, as obligation or duty. Rather than rather than pushing you farther in and far what is it, further in and further up or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Rather than going further in and, and higher up or whatever, however C.S. Lewis says it in the last battle, I can't remember now, um, they think of it as 
actually leading you away from Jesus. I mean, I don't think, they would, I don't think anybody would say that explicitly, but this was, the, this was the common kind of complaint over the last year about confirmation, as, we, as I was discussing with the elders. Is like, why do people understand it as like graduation from the church? And that may be the way it was taught. Maybe it's just the unfortunate coincidence with eighth grade, you know, is the end of middle school, so it's the end of life in the church. It's also just the consequence of you get into high school, things get a little wonky, right? And, you know, I'm saying, are things a little wonky for you? Not really. Yeah, you're homeschooled. But um, hormonally, like who, how you understand yourself and your body and all these, everything's getting a little weird, right? What? <laughs> You grew like what four inches in the last year? Oh. Yeah, Grandma said it was like four or five. She does the thing on the marks. It's like you grew a lot. Things are getting a little strange, right? So to continue in sin after baptism, in particular apostasy, ah, uh, is against. I don't know what's the what's what's that word etymology? That word, John. It's Latin apostasy. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's Greek. You don't have to Google it. Um, has worse consequences. So it's actually worse than to just not be baptized at all. Does that make sense? I mean, at least in this life. Of course, the, the, the end is the same. So look at Hebrews 6, because this is where he deals with it. Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 8. Oh, yeah, I mean, we can always go back to the beginning of the chapter. Um, writer of the Hebrews... He's writing, he's writing to Jews that are continuing in Jewishness, <laughs> if you like, rather than embracing the teaching of Jesus and how they are to understand um, themselves now. We don't know who wrote it, so I always call him the writer to Hebrews. I like the, the ancient understanding that it's Paul, but it doesn't sound like Paul's other writings, but it's also not an epistle, really. It's more of a sermon. So Maybe Paul could write in different disciplines. I don't know. All right, so Hebrews 6, 4 to 8. What does it say? Skip to 4. 4 is impossible. Somebody want to read that? 3. No, you don't have to. I can keep speaking. 4 to 8? 4 to 8, yeah, there it is. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For a land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now that's a... I don't know how you feel about that text. But I think it's a pretty hard one to hear, isn't it? I mean, and even to use that really strong language of it is, what's the, what, how's it translated there? It's impossible. Verse 4. Yeah. It's, uh, the word is dunamis, you know, which means power or like dynamite. Dunamite. Dunamis. But it's odd dunamis, so it's actually without, you're without power. Um, once again be uh, to have the light to be enlightened. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. So that's, that's a pretty hard teaching. Um, and uh, I'd like to not believe it, actually. <laughs> so I act as if I it's not, it's actually not upon me 
Well, here's the real problem is that you act, we actually don't know what's in the hearts of men anyway. So just because they're not in church doesn't necessarily mean they don't believe. Right? I mean, that's true too. Um, like I said, there may be some barrier that's keeping them from regular act of public worship. And it's not unbelief or unfaith, but actually um, just doubts or worries or anxieties, right? Like we all have. Um, so that's not necessarily, we're talking about those who have actually rejected the faith outright and just say, you know, God is dead, basically. Which is, which is true, but he lives too. So <laughs> funny that. Uh, what is, what is uh, Hebrews 10? So he, this theme continues for a little bit into Hebrews 10. Oh, that's not it. That looks like 13. Let's do 10. All right, there we go. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's this sacrifice, by the way. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Right? And namely, the law of Moses that the blood will be shed for the people. That's what the law meant. That's the purpose of the law is to show the need or the fulfillment, both the need and fulfillment for forgiveness of sins by the sacrifice of the Lamb, who is Christ. So, yeah, were you going to say something? you're mumbling? Okay, no. The. Uh, Lest something worse happen to you. So, I don't know how this affects church practice, but probably should. Um, who does the cradle roll? I forget. Is that Eileen that does that? Yeah. I mean, that cradle roll is a wonderful tradition because it takes seriously what we're just reading here about both praying for those who are baptized, um, but also encouraging the parents, rem- remembering their baptism birthday, sending them a card, you know. Um, and uh, one of the things that we have to disabuse parents of thinking um, is that young children who, even those who cannot speak somehow are not welcome in the church um, but even more so don't, don't benefit from being a part of the fellowship and that's really just a western enlightenment kind of idea that, that I have to get something out of church or my children have to get something out of church, in other words like extract something <laughs> yeah. and, and you can only do that if you've got Right, a well-formed intellect that understands and can pull it. And then, you know, I like to say to them, well, if that's true, uh, you come to church, right? Yeah, I come to church. You get something out of it? Yeah, usually. Depends on your sermon, Pastor. Okay. Um, uh, Explain to me how Christ is present under bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, in his body and blood. Explain that to me. Do you understand that? Have you fully grasped it now? Well, no. Are you ever going to understand that? No. So, but your children can't have mysteries, things that they don't understand, that they hear, but they don't understand? Well, of course they can. They don't understand why they're not supposed to put, supposed to put their hand on the stove, right? They eventually figure it out. Either the hard way or the easy way. <laughs> the hard way being they put their hand on the stove. The easy way, they watch their brother put their hand on the stove, right? <laughs> okay. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's a bad idea. I was serving coffee yesterday at... Uh, friend's funeral, or funeral, <laughs> wedding, same idea, and, uh, well, I mean, you have to die to yourself for your neighbor, oh, no, you're thinking the wrong thing, anyway, apparently somebody took, the coffee was pretty hot, it was in one of these, those things, the percolators, poured it on his foot, and actually, his skin started peeling, so, 
Yeah, it reminded me of the McDonald's person who sued McDonald's for because the coffee was hot. Yeah. 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 That's the problem with those guys because they, they go all, all the way up to boiling, right? And that basically the coffee is almost boiling in the bottom because the water boils to percolate, right? But then, so it's like 210 degrees or something. Whereas like ideal serving temperature, it's probably put cream in it, right? So that it's like 150, maybe even lower, like just above body temperature, 110. All right, I don't know why I brought that up. Burning? Oh, learning from mistakes, yeah. Mm. So the, the man's confession back in, we should get back to our text, John 5, 15. Um, the man departed and told the Jews who had, who had made him well uh, is not betrayal of a confession of faith, not betrayal, but the confession of faith as the one who has power over creation and the authority to forgive sins. Right? The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who healed him. Some people would say that was betrayal because he knew it was going to get Jesus killed because he was blaspheming and all that kind of stuff. He was like, no, that's not how this works. Right? Confess, you, you confess no matter what the consequence. You say what's true according to God's word. Whether that brings hurt or harm upon you, oh, it's going to hurt Jesus. Well, actually, it ends up doing that, right? He did end up dying for blasphemy. That's actually the truth, right? Um, but that's actually the point of the whole story anyway. All right, good. Oh, look at that. All right. Uh, before we go, I won't give you the sheet, um, but I wanted to have you think a little bit about something, and then we'll come back to it next week. Because now Jesus is going to start chatting a bit. Remember, we looked at 18 already. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but this last part. But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal. Now there, this is something I, now I won't have to talk about next week if I just tell you now. There are a lot of people who say, um, well, think of Islam. Islam says Allah is, is, is one and Muhammad is his prophet. And actually they say Jesus is his prophet too. But what have they done to Jesus then? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, in one sense, Jesus is below the Father, right? He made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, meaning he takes on human flesh, right? But does that mean he's given up his divinity? No, he's both God and man, right? At the same time, we've talked about this. Um, so how does, how does it say it? I was thinking of the Athanasian Creed. Actually, the Father with respect to the divinity, lower than the Father with respect to his humanity. Right, so the Athanasian Creed, I know we don't confess it very often. I actually would like to confess it more throughout the year. I just forget to put it on the schedule. And then I don't, probably would rather we say it like on a matin Sunday. (laughs) Otherwise, you know, I'm sensitive to the fact that sometimes the kids get a little, my kids especially, (laughs) my children start making noise if things get a little bit lengthy, right? They get a little uncomfortable. Um, but talking about the, the relationship of Jesus to his father, because that's really the question, right? Like, does he have authority to speak for God? Well, of course he does, because he's God. But he's going to tell us that, and he's going to use it with big words, and he does this thing, amen, amen, truly, truly, uh, which we talked about before, back in chapter... Was three. It two, three? Yeah, with, with Nicodemus. Yeah, amen, amen. Um, he's going to make some pretty bold statements. And uh, I think it's a little bit of a mind-bending thing. Um, but the Athanasian Creed actually, I think, quotes, or at least alludes to John 5, 
repeatedly, especially the last statement that makes people, bothers people, is actually a direct quote from John's Gospel. Those who have done good enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the, the Catholic faith. Whoever desires to be saved must think to us. Right? That kind of thing. You're like, wait a minute. Does good, goes into eternal life, does evil, goes... That sounds like works righteousness, right? Yeah. Well, think of it this way. Does good, that is, receives from God all things. Does evil, thinks they offer sacrifice to God, and that, that saves them. Um, but it actually is a direct quote, and I'll just show you this, because I don't think I have it in my handout. From John 5. Dun, 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 dun. Where is it? Anybody see it in there? He who does the good. Truly, here's my word. Say, does come in judgment is passed from death to life. That's a good one. Father and himself. I don't remember which verse it is. Uh, I don't see the verse. It's yeah. in here. Yes. What? 29? Yes. Oh yeah, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There it is. So the thing that, like, Lutherans especially, on social media, every Trinity Sunday, <laughs> you're like, oh, can we really say the Athanasian Creed? Because is it true? And you're like, um, wait a minute. It's quoting the Bible. And rightly too, I would say. But actually here's a little bit, the way that John gives it is actually better. I think resurrection of life versus resurrection of judgment. So we're talking about um, we're talking about either faith in Christ or faith in, unfaith in Christ. So, so maybe what I would suggest to you do that you should do before next week, um, either Google it or if you've got a hymnal or some other resource, Lutheran Confessions that has the Athanasian Creed, um, look it over. Because I'm gonna, I think it's I think it's really just trying to confess what we're seeing here in John's Gospel in particular. All right. That was an insight that I didn't have until this morning. So I'm sharing it with you now because it's not on my handout. All right. All right. Depart in the Lord's peace. Uh, Kids are singing, right? We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.